Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lore Watch, a freeform roundtable discussion about lore in games about Blizz- from Blizzard Entertainment. I am your host, Joe Perez, and with me is Matt Rossi, the master of all things warrior. How are you doing today, Rossi? Failing to master all things warrior based on my most recent playing of 8.3. <laughs> Very much failing. <laughs> not not mastering anything. Just, just, getting, uh, just getting hit a lot and going down a lot? I mean, I was expecting it, but yeah. Yeah, that, that was happening with me as well. I had a, um, even on my shaman with the self-healing, I was still, it, it hit a lot harder than I expected. Doable, just I wasn't anticipating nearly as much in the way of, uh, nearly as much in the way of, of getting hit. But that's not why we're here today. Today we're here to answer your questions, readers and listeners out there. And we're going to start with a little bit of a, a, I don't want to say a doozy, but one that we got hit with as soon as patch 8.3 dropped. One of the first things you see is a fantastic cinematic in which Anduin punches Rathion and exclaims, this is all your fault. Uh, I've got a, quite a few tweets, questions, emails, uh, direct messages asking what that is all about. Matt, would you like to give the TLDR version or? Okay. So how did this all start? Know. Why, 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 mm-hmm. why did Anduin punch Rathion? Why do we? Like... Sorry, I'm coughing. Uh, yeah, here we are. Here we go. Coughing or no coughing. Let's talk about this. Um, the, the too long, you know, too long didn't read response that, that boiled down is because it is. Um, specifically back in Mists of Pandaria, uh, Rathian was heavily involved in the plot to get Garrosh uh, to the the other Draenor, the uh, the Draenor that we go to in Warlords of Draenor. Rathian helped the Infinite Dragon Flight. He helped Garrosh's loyalists. He even 
ambushed uh, Garrosh's guards and Anduin. At one point, Anduin actually thought that Rathian was going to kill him. And Rathian was like, no, 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 I, I, I didn't even kill that Pandaren guard, and I care way more about you than I do about him. No, I'm not here to kill anybody. I just, this is necessary. And of course, Anduin didn't agree. But without Rathian, uh, we wouldn't have gotten the alternate Gul'dan wouldn't have come to our world because our garage wouldn't have gone to his world. And wouldn't have opened up the way for Sargeras and yep. uh, his minions to grab alternate Gul'dan to use them for their own means. Yep, and that means that, among other things, Anduin's dad wouldn't have gotten blown up real good on the Broken Shore. Which means Anduin wouldn't be king right now. Which means Anduin wouldn't feel personally responsible for everything that's going wrong in the world. And so when adding... Anduin says, this is your fault, he's also talking to himself. Anduin yeah. definitely blames himself for everything oh, that's yeah. happening. But he absolutely does blame Rathian. There's no way around it. Rathian set the events in motion that led us step by step to this point. And if you think about it even further, like there are other things that never would have happened as well on top of that if it wasn't for Rathian's actions in freeing Garrosh and, and opening the way to Gul'dan 2.0. The World Tree never would have burned because Sylvanas wouldn't have been war chief, because Vol'jin wouldn't have died in the at the broken shore, just like you know, Varian died doing during that assault. Like neither of them would have died. We wouldn't have been in this situation. Nothing that currently happened would have occurred. And it's sort of one of those weird moments when you realize like most of Legion really started way before Legion ever occurred. And we're not just talking about like the deep lore cuts or anything like that. It's because Rathion, who was literally a child, decided he knew better and was like, yeah, no, Garrosh, I, I need I need an army. He's going to give me an army. He'll, he'll lead me to the Iron Horde. Iron Horde will give me exactly what I want because the Alliance and Horde don't play well together and we need to stop the Legion. And, yeah, what wound up happening? And he, wasn't, he wasn't thinking about the old gods, which we, we know for a fact because when you do the various quests to uh, find Rathian in 8.2, uh, you don't find him, but you find, you know, traces of him. And it he leaves behind those journals that are basically saying, you know, I'd never really stopped to focus on the old gods and what mm -hmm. happened to my father. But now that I have, I've realized how deep a threat it is. He was focusing on the Legion to the extent, cause, and, and there's a reason for that. The Legion was an existential threat. The old gods are a corrupting force. They're not going to destroy the world. They're going to remake it in their image. The Legion will just straight up destroy it. Yeah, the Legion wanted to wipe everything clean and burn the galaxy and, and rebuild it and basically their image, essentially, so start it, over. It makes sense to focus on them. It makes sense to worry about them. But in so doing, Rathian missed the you know the bigger picture. He he missed his own flaws and imperfections. He missed the, the, the thing that corrupted his own dragonflight. So he spent some time while Legion was happening and after focusing on that, thinking about that and changing his way of doing things. But it's absolutely true that the stuff he was doing before is what we're reaping right now. Um, for better or for worse, no matter what his intentions were, Rathion made the modern world of Warcraft possible. 
and it is absolutely his fault that that Rafi, that Anduin's father is dead. And so that's why Anduin punched him in the face. Yep. So hopefully that clears that up for anybody who's wondering uh, exactly what Anduin meant and why. Now, moving from that, we did receive quite a number of questions. Thank you very much for those, and we're going to dive right in. First on the docket, hello, Blizzard Watch. I have a question about one aspect of the Zandalar Horde leveling story. How did Zul get in the same Alliance prison alongside Talanji in the first place? Was it a coincidence, or did he volunteer to go along with her to whatever original de destination to begin with? I don't see how the Horde was necessary for his plans if Cahoon was his only option. It seems he would have seen what kind of threat we possessed. I have an internal theory that recently started kicking around that Zul helped set up the Horde uh, meet up with Talanji in order to create an alternate path where if his Gahoon plan failed, it still set up the Zandalar in a place where they are now in a dominant position in the world, uh, world power of the Horde. I still think Zul's Gahoon plan was his preferred option. I have been thinking that Zul's truly a Zandalar nationalist. Thanks, Norcrosis of Coral Astras. Um... Kinda. So it's inferred during it that he was actually going along mostly to wipe out the royal line, and he just didn't get an opportunity to do so. Because when Talanji took off, he sort of volunteered to go to quote-unquote protect her, and that's sort of how they wound up there from what I played through. But it's it's heavily implied, at least from what I've seen, that it was just going to be stage one of take over the Zandalar because if Talanji died and then, you know, the King died, there was nobody else to take over the throne. And so Zul as the primary advisor would be able to sort of step in and be like, Hey, look, I know how to do these things. I've been working with the King for all these generations. Follow me. I got you covered. I think that was his original plan was to do that and still do the Cahoon stuff. But I think that sort of fell through when we showed up and sort of freed Talanji before any of that happened. What do you think, Matt? Well, it's clear that neither Talanji nor Azul trusted the other. Clearly. And they both say this. Um, he was definitely sent, Rastakhan sent Zul to watch over her. He obviously didn't intend to watch over her any more than, you know, Rastakhan trusted Zul. Zul was not a fool. He didn't trust Rastakhan or Talanji, who didn't trust him either. So yeah, he would have loved to kill her. He just didn't dare to just try and openly do it, especially not when they were both so far away from their relative centers of power. Because she had, you saw what she did mm -hmm. before she, you know, before his death. Uh, oh bloody heck, I can't remember the name of the of the Tyrannosaur or Loa. Razan. Razan, thank you. Before Razan's death, Razan was powerful enough to threaten Juan Samdi. The Loa of Kings. He was. He was. Yeah. He was powerful enough to tell Death to go take a hike for years and years. Yeah, and he was powerful enough that Zul... Basically, Zul had one shot, and he could not possibly miss. If he didn't kill her immediately, you, you saw what she did when the Alliance fleet was on top of them. She would have called Razan, and it would have been game over. Razan favored her. Razan favored her probably more than he favored her father. And her father was the actual king. So, yeah, he had one he had one shot and he never it's like the old saying you come correct. If you come at the king, you got to come correct or you, and you better not miss. He didn't have the shot that he felt like he could do it. And then they got captured by the alliance and yeah. he was basically sitting in there 
trying to think of what to do. And keep in mind, he's seeing things as, as they go on. Zul had the, the gift of prophecy. Um, he could see the future. It was limited, but you saw what he did in Stormwind to escape Jaina. He saw that Jaina was coming. He knew that they could not win a straight-up fight with her. And so he set the city on fire. Before you ever see Jaina, he's already done this to outmaneuver her. That's how Zul thinks. I should say thought, because he is dead now. But keep in mind that the the way his plan was Gahoon was he didn't like he wasn't really planning to serve Gahoon. No, he just wanted the power. He wanted to use Gahoon. Yeah. He didn't feel like the current the Zandalari Loa were powerful enough. Uh, he didn't feel like they were going to get his people elevated to a position of power and respect the way they used to be. Um, and you see that in his planning. I mean, he just he uses them as disposable. He, one of the things about Zul is he's learned the trick that the other, you know, Zan, the other troll tribes, uh, specifically thinking of the Frost tribe, um, the Faraki, I want to say, but it's not the Faraki. Uh, the ones who live in Northrend. Oh, um... Oh, my, the Faraki is from Zul Farak, the Dr- Drakari, the Drakari. Yes. Zuldrak. Um, he saw the trick that the Drakari learned, uh, that they can actually cannibalize the Loa, that they can, they can take them, they can grab them and basically kill them and use them as like power sources. And that's the trick he wanted to use on the, the Loa that the Zandalari currently served. And with Gahun as the new blood God, You'd have a being that wasn't a Loa. It didn't have the same power structure. It couldn't be manipulated the same way. By by binding themselves to that, he, they'd never have to worry about it dying, essentially. And keep in mind that Zul was going by what Gahoon told it. And Gahoon itself... Gahoon itself just cared about corrupting everything. It just cared... It was literally just the old god drive to corrupt. Yep turned into like an actual physical being and that's the thing that was so interesting about their quote-unquote relationship is that neither trusted or really understood the other and Zul's intent was always to destroy the Loa uh, enslave them the way the Drakari used theirs uh, use them to power his people's rise to, to, to new heights and any power source he could get was good including the old god the the Gahoon. Uh, yeah, the, and the you, virus monster. And you see so, that you see that in in effect too when like you deal with Hyreek as well with the blood the blood trolls corrupting him and that entire process. That's sort of that made manifest, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of, you know, did he intend to join the horde? No, absolutely no, not. Absolutely, uh, he would have done his absolute best to sabotage that if it ever looked like it was seriously going to happen. He if if they had just sailed into Orgrimmar instead of getting captured by the Alliance, he would have been a dick from start to finish. He would have done absolutely everything. Without ever once openly contradicting Talanji, he would have done everything in oh, his he would power have sabotaged sabotage it. it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he, he's got, he had his long memory, too. And don't forget that it wasn't too long ago when we were in Pandaria that we messed up his plans there, too. We messed up what he was planning to do with the Mogu at the time. And... He he. When we go face him, he brings that up. He's like, I you know didn't forget what you did, and that's from the horde side. So there's there's no way he would have joined the horde. There's we've the the horde as an entity is just as bad for him as the alliances in that regard. 
he would have consolidated his power, tried to take over the nation, been his, you know, Zul the king, and sat on his mountain and just tried to be the most powerful person or being that he could be in control of his people. Yeah, in a way, it's interesting because Zul is not your typical old god follower. Mm-hmm. He is not particularly crazy. He's not fanatical. He's not, he's no. not devoted to their he's cause. Fanatical in ter- he's fanatical in service to himself. Correct. He's actually, he's very like Goldon in that way. It's actually very much, Zul is like if you took Goldon and gave him Velen's ability to, to see ahead. Because that's the thing that made Zul so dangerous was he could, he could see ahead of people. He was, you know, by the time the Horde character gets to trying to oppose what Zul is up to, the guy's plan is so far along that even though you know he's bad, even though you know you can't trust him, he still manages to kill the king. Like, I mean, he doesn't actually kill him, but he's, you he know, him and his it. people, him and his people show up and he stabs him. And if it weren't for once Amdi, the king would have died right there. And the only reason that, that he survives is so he's in a better position to be killed by the Alliance because that serves Bon Samdi's overall plan. So, yeah, there's there's nothing about Zul that is easy to, to, to estimate, but he absolutely did not intend to join the Horde. Our next question. Greetings, watchers. Is it possible that we are Azeroth's immune system against old god corruption? It seems like the curse of flesh has made us pretty effective at fighting them in the long term. We reproduce a lot more prolifically than Titan Forged, and corrupting a bunch of us isn't as potentially devastating as corrupting even a single Titan Watcher. Could our evolution into the various races of Azeroth have been directly guided by her to create a host of immune cells perfectly designed to root out the old gods? Effective in large numbers, but each individual weak enough that we can be swiftly pruned by the others if we go rogue. Thanks, Spry Sprocket, Proudmore US. What do you think? Well, Anna and I used to talk about this all the time. Uh, <clears throat> well, first off, uh, I'm going to go back to Oldemon for a second here. If you go to Oldemon and you look at the Discs of Norganon, which again, remember, the Discs of Norganon and Oldemon are the ones that were stolen because they they didn't want to leave them in Loken's hands because Loken had already tampered with the Tribunal of Ages. So they wanted to get the Discs away from him. And that's why they did it. That's why they stole the Discs. That's why it was so important. That's why... Loken tried to have them killed before they could get away with the discs. That's why he sent two Chathraxi after them. That's why Tyr, you know, went down fighting, killed one, and sent the other into such a beatdown that it, it collapsed down in Stranglethorn. That whole thing was over the Dis of Norganon. And the Dis of Norganon say that most worlds, the Titan forged, the, when the Titans seed those worlds, they don't make stone figures they don't use the 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 denser elements of the earth they just make flesh beings that that azeroth is different that they deliberately created the earthen and the vrykul and all that to be made of stone because azeroth's conditions required it and those conditions turned out to be the old gods so is it possible that we are the immune system of the planet i don't know that it's as directly i don't know if it's as simple as they actually did that or if it just turned out to be what has happened um another thing to keep in mind is uh when when you fight algalon algalon doesn't think you have a prayer against him he doesn't think you have a prayer to stop what's coming 
he even says this, like, you know, this isn't, you know, I've seen trillions of worlds bathed in the maker's, maker's flames. This, what allows you to, to succeed against cosmically calculated odds? Is it the, your imperfection? And that's the thing that the Titans can't process that, you know, and it's one of those weird, weird things about this whole thing. It's like, in a way, it's the old gods who made, who gave us that thing that the Titans can't process or understand. It's if you consider the curse of flesh to be something the old gods have created, the old gods gave it to us. They're the ones that made the various Titan forged into flesh and blood species on Azeroth and paradoxically have created the only thing that seems able to stand against them. Cause you look at it right now, look at 8.3. What are we doing to fight the old gods? We're basically going and trying to murder them. We're we're resisting their corruption. No. We're going into their 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 tank. Yes, we're going so we're going in and taking out the very thing they're using to corrupt us and studying it and turning it into a weapon against them. The whole thing without with the cape that uh, Rathion made. The whole thing with the, the the hard visions is we're going in to learn how to deal with what they're doing in a way that the Titans never could. The Titans can't comprehend it. Yeah, even going back to Sargeras, like it, it, that that was one of the whole crux of, of his argument was he, and don't forget he was a Titan, he couldn't wrap his brain around how Old God Corruption really worked, and his response was cleave things in half, at the time at least. Like, yeah, we, we destroy it. Destroy it and rebuild. And, Burn everything down. And if you and look if at you the look Titans... Like- Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say we have we, we we that's even a central plot point in eight point three here, when we're going through like the halls of origination. Why? Because the halls of origination were meant to scour the entire planet clean, basically destroy everything, start over, and we're trying to figure out how to localize that. Like that's well, a thing. Because, actually, again, Titans they just want to start over. Here's an interesting thing about that, that I think ties into what we're talking about. All the time that we had the, the, the Emerald Nightmare, that Nazoth was asleep in the Emerald Dream. We kept talking about how the Emerald Dream was kind of like Azeroth's backup. Mm-hmm. It was like Azeroth before the Sundering, before the changes. It was like the perfect natural version of Azeroth that the Titans had wanted to create. It's essentially the Azeroth that, you know, it's an idealized, perfectized Azeroth. Where it's like all Kalimdor, there's only one continent, it spans the whole... I mean, there might be other continents, I don't know, but you know what I'm saying. No Eastern Kingdoms, no Northrend, no Pandaria, it's all just one giant continent. And Nizoth's being the Emerald Dream, that was corrupting it. And then we drove him out of the Emerald Dream. Yep, we went in and kicked now, him out. if the Emerald Dream is the backup, the Halls of Origination are essentially the reformatter. They're the things that is going to wipe everything and then run the backup. So he can't, he hasn't corrupted the backup anymore. So he goes and he directly corrupts the reformatter. I, this is a little bit of a spoiler for 8.3, but quite honestly, if you haven't done that quest by now, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> the quest is necessary to do everything else. So you kind of have to do it. So anyway, when you do those quests, you, you find out that the entire time you've been trying to get the Halls of Origination online and he's wanted you to do it. That's why he keeps saying you're his chosen. That's why he he's so weirdly affectionate of you. He wants you 
to get the halls of origination online so that they can be used because he has infested them. Yep. And when they reformat the world, they're going to reformat it into the black empire, which is what he was trying to do in the Emerald dream in the first place. That's always been their goal. Every, everything we've done has just, this guy is like a tentacly six eyed Dr. Doom because everything we do Serves keeps just feeding into his plan. And I will and, always use Dr. Doom as that before Xanatos because Doom was doing it first. I agree. I will not disagree with that at all. But, but that, that's the thing. If you look at that's the way that the old gods work versus the way the Titans work. The Titans are always like, okay, we'll just burn everything down. And the Titans like, please, and the old gods are like, please do. Yeah, it's, Go ahead. it's they're better at using their enemies, I guess, strength as a weakness, so to speak. They're better at finding the place where you don't. There's that whole idea that the light sees one true path and the Titans see myriad possibilities. Like you hear the, the followers of the old gods constantly saying, you know, the thousand truths. Like when you're doing the, uh, really the most important leveling zone in, in battle for Azeroth has actually turned out to be the, the, the one North of, Oh, boy, hey, I can't remember because it's so close to the storm song. Yes. Yeah, storm song. Mm-hmm. Because Stormsong is where you first really run into Ashara, and it's where you you really first run into the old gods really, outside of Gahoon. Yeah, and like I don't even count like Gahoon as like old god, like prime. That's like old god. He's like beta. He's, he's like old god. He's a old, he's old god detritus. He's literally, sure. if you take the corrupting aspect of the old gods and you study it, that's how do you study it by isolating it. Yeah, that's what he is. He is the isolated corruption of the old gods. He's doesn't have any of the other stuff old gods have. He just has the corruption. But in Stormsong, we see full forces. We see faceless. We see the void tentacles. We see the void actually being called upon. There's a dungeon in which we go into that. We see that as well. Like it's very evident. And Through all of that, what you're seeing is the old gods like to use the, the tight creations of the Titans against them. They don't, just try and overwhelm the way Sargeras did. They don't just go with massive amounts of force. And that's what, if you look at the demons of the, of the, of the Burning Legion, they're not good at corruption. No. They're not good at, you know, they're really good at just annihilating things. And even their seductive ones are are like, it's an individual thing. Like the Nathrazim or the Succubi, it's an individual thing. It's like, why don't you give me something in exchange for me giving you something? It's not, let's, you know, the entire, like, look at the power we can grant you and the entire world will burn. If you, and again, using an eight point, this is actually an 8.2 quest, but when you're, when you're doing the, uh, the various essences in the dragon flights and you go to see what, Ash, what, uh, um, I want to say Ashara, but that's not her name. She's, she's a dragon. Why can't I say her name? I... Red dragon queen. Oh my God. Why? Alex Raza. Thank you. Alex Raza. <laughs> when you go to see her. Uh, she's being attacked by by various like corrupted dragons or they're like yes. void dragons, and one of them is like saying, you know, join us and this this power will be yours, and together we can make the universe the way it should be. There's just a much more concerted effort to get the the well, dragons because again, the dragons are creations of the titans. Well, even beyond that, like that that quest I think is really important too because it's not just when you're saying like join us, they're trying to offer Alexstrasza the thing that she no longer has which is essentially the ability to create new life. 
It's join us and you can have this back. You can you can have your your flight back. You can be a mother again. And I thought that was really, really interesting because it highlights that point you're making where the Legion is very individualistic in that sort of that sort of uh, enticement. But this is larger scale. It's we can give you this and this gives us what we want. It's it's you, more long term thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll notice, too, Vexiona, yep. who is the dragon in question, calls her sister. Yep. And she's trying to... That's another enticement. Because what has Alexstrasza lost? Yeah, your Sarah's sister. dead. Your Sarah's gone. And you see that, too. You see the green dragon flight. You see what they're going through. Now that your Sarah's dead, like, her daughter Melithra doesn't know how to, to lead them. They didn't make any provisions for this. They made provisions for how to choose a new aspect, but that the aspects are not aspects anymore. They didn't think after the end of the, the Hour of Twilight you know, thing happened, after Cataclysm, they didn't think they'd need succession. They thought they were just going to die out. But none of them expected Ysera to go first. So there's this whole thing. The, the old gods are like this. This is what they do. This is how they work. And oddly enough... It's because we are mortal beings. It's because we are capable of being corrupted that we can see corruption and understand what it is. If you look at when Titan figures, when like Sargeras goes, he goes cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs the biggest way imaginable. But he's still a Titan. Yep, he still has that sort of Titan linear thinking. Yeah. And when like... When we first saw Raden and he was like, you can't possibly win. That's all he had going on was that idea. He, he couldn't imagine that anyone could even beat him, even though he'd already been beaten once. You know, they just they don't think that way. They never stop to consider other points of view. They don't really seem able to look at Odin. Yeah. You know, when they they are fixed on a when they're fixed on a path, they they stick on it. It's just what they do. And, and we talked about so, that before, where it's almost like they're programming, right? They just they don't know how to deviate from it. Yeah, I mean, some of them are more worse than others. Like mother, mother talks like a robot, even. Yes. Whereas obviously Raden doesn't speak. Like he's not. You're not saying response, pro, you know, response planet. You know, it's Raden just talks, but Raden's more sophisticated than mother. Mother has a specific goal that she was made for. And I mean, you even see like in the, in the halls of origination, we even see that the servants of the old gods have figured out how to use the machinery there to make new watchers. Yes. And, and that's like another example of them using the works of the Titans against them. And, and we can talk about that. There, there's a, a question we received that uh, asked about that specifically too, like why Magni sort of comments on that and almost seems nonplussed about it. Um, because they, it seems like it should be a bigger deal. It's, I don't know, want to say it's not that big of a deal, but we've seen mortal creatures able to create essentially watchers. We talked about this not too long ago with like the trolls essentially doing that, uh, generations ago, the Zandalari were doing that to create essentially what our watchers to handle their dead and deal with the blood corruption that was happening. So it's not like it's a, I don't want to say a unique event. It's something that, at this point, we've seen a few times, but again, like you're saying, in this particular instance, they're they're using that against it because they're corrupting 
mortal creatures sending their their Akir and the the Silithid in to go do it with this knowledge of like, hey, look, they can do it. We've been watching them do it. Just just go push the button. Uh, but to come back, circle into the the central thing. Are we the immune system of Azeroth? Kinda. I think we are. I think we are by default. Like, yeah. I don't think we are. I don't think you can say that Azeroth intended it. I think it is just the way it has worked out. Although I, I was going to say, I think it, it might be something where the Titans may have accidentally intended it, if that makes sense, because of the things. Well, I like think. You're... Yeah, I think that you're right there. Um, in that, I think that Titans always intended that the Titan Forged would have become part of the world part of its biome uh i think that was from the beginning i think that's what they usually did on a planet they just usually did it immediately they didn't usually make the the titan forge that we have on azeroth and we see that on other worlds like if you go to antorus there's watchers in there too there's dark watchers that have joined sargeras Mm -hmm. um i think that there basically is there's always going to be that part of the planning cycle where they use these much more effective more powerful figures. And then once they've gotten the world, because keep in mind, the Titans make Titan forge because they themselves are too large to act on that scale. It's effectively like a, a neurosurgeon using extremely sensitive tools to operate on like a nerve bundle. You can't just reach in with your fingers. You will mess things up. You need like microscopic scale Fine surgical, you know, yeah. Yeah, you need to be able to to do extremely precise things. That's effectively the Titan Forged or Waldos. They're they're things that the Titans can act through on a scale that's effective for what they're trying to do without doing more damage. Because we saw what happened when Amonthul decided he was just going to go grab Yashraj by himself. And Yashraj was the most powerful of the old gods that were on Azeroth. Much more so than Azoth. And what happened when he did that? He ripped them in half. He mm-hmm. like pulled. There were like bits of Nazoth scattered across the continent. Y- yes, Raj. Oh, yeah, yes, Raj. And worse of that is he then damaged the world. He ripped a giant hole in it. That wasn't what he wanted. He didn't intend to hurt the planet. He almost killed it. That's why they were like, oh, "Okay, yeah, we're not doing that again." And no, he, we go they, to containment. Yeah, they'd already <laughs> known that they would that they shouldn't try to operate on that scale that was the the high father of the pantheon getting impatient mm-hmm. and keep in mind this is a dude who can control time and he got impatient so that's kind of funny to me the, the the titans seem to keep responding in bad ways to the old gods it's like they get frustrated that they don't understand them and they always do something that ends up making everything worse it's like the titans involvement never seems to work out the way they want Right, and that's why they they had that's why Aldir started in the first place. They wanted to understand the old gods because they couldn't. They wanted to research the old gods because they just they could not wrap their brains around it. And that's how we got Aldir. That's how we got Gahun. That's how that entire thing happened was because they couldn't figure out what to do. So they tried doing the only thing they could figure out was a viable path, which was research. And that research unfortunately went sideways. But yeah, I think it was an un- unintended result that we are essentially the white blood cells of Azeroth. Moving on, we have questions from Shad, a blood elf paladin from US Hyjal. Dear fellows, without spoiling anything, though it will be almost a week since the 8.3 drop when this is read, 
part one, do you foresee a Mogu allied race and perhaps the first neutral allied race? Uh, well, I think we'll answer that one first. No. Uh, and the only reason I say that is because I, I think the most likely scenario for them, and we've talked about this before, where they sort of have this like very strict programming that they've been following. Like, do I think the Mogu are evil? Kinda not really. I think they only understand a single path and will do anything they can to get to that place because they haven't had anybody leading them for eons at this point. They've basically I'm gonna disagree with you on that. Okay. Here's why. You're ignoring the Rajani. I was getting to them as the second part. Okay. The, but the, the Rajani have been following a leader. And when we meet them, they're neutral. Yeah, and that's why they could possibly end up in a neutral allied race. But I, my, my, the, what I was going to get to is I think that it's more likely that they will just remain a neutral race. And I think that is the best case scenario for them with us versus I don't think they're ever going to be a playable allied race. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like they're going to be one of those races like the good snake people that don't hate us where I don't think we're going to be ever play as them but I think they're going to like kind of work alongside of us. And we've seen that in the past before, or the fish goblins. Like, see, I think, I think it's very possible. We could get the Mogu or the Rajani Mogu as playable. Okay. Partially because one, they're effectively just a Draenei skin. And that's we, we, all the allied races we've seen so far that we've actually gotten are reskins. The Volpera are basically a goblin. I mean, they look a lot different, but their skeleton stuff is basically basically just a, goblin. a goblin. Yeah, the mega gnomes not even trying. They're gnomes. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the only ones I can think of, the Kaltirans are effectively kind of dancing on a Vrykul skeleton. I think to a degree. Yeah. Um, the uh, Zandalari are just a jumped up troll. Uh, they actually have some night elf stuff in there. In general, it feels like the 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 easier it is for a race to come in on a previous race's skeleton like the Maghar or the Dark Iron or the Nightborn or the Void Elves, those are the ones that we, we seem to get the most of. And I really do think that the, the Rajani have a shot at becoming an, an allied race for that reason. And and do you think that they would be a neutral one that would work for both sides, kind of like Pandaren? I would like that, but I don't think that's where they're going to go. I think they'd likely go to the Horde. Because really, the Horde don't have anybody who looks Draenei. See, and when they, they did the, the Nightborn Void Elf thing, they gave the Void Elves to the Alliance and the Nightborn to the Horde. The Nightborn are basically just Night Elves. Yeah. At this point, there's like the, the Nightborn, in terms of numbers, the terms of populations of Elves, the Horde has more Elves in it than the Alliance does. Because the Nightborn brought their, uh, the entire population of a city, joined the Horde, and the Alliance got like maybe a couple hundred Void Elves. Yeah, that's and fair. The same with the, the Blood Elves. I mean, the Blood Elves were pretty low pop, but the, the Night Elves aren't doing very well right now. So I think in terms of that, I think the, the Mogu would almost certainly go to the Horde. Uh, this is not necessarily the way I'd like it to go, but this is the way I see it going. See, I think in, ge in, in general, that's where I think it would go. And I could, and I can almost see them if they were going to be a thing to go to a single race, almost going exactly the opposite. And I'm not just looking at like, the the skeletons because 
we've seen similar races given to both sides. That's just that's kind of how it happens sometimes. But I could see them fitting in with the Alliance because, again, they are Titan creations. They are very ordered and regimental. And when we see the Rajani, they're following orders, right? They're they're following their last known orders from Raden. And that's it. Like, they're not going out of their way to do anything else. They're They're still... They have their primary functions, and I think that like that order, that that scheme, fits more with the alliance side of things than it does the horde. The horde is, I hate to say it like this, but it's like a free for all. None of the factions are really, you know, oh well, we're all going to do sort of the same thing. The alliance is very much more. I don't want to say like law and ordery, but they're more used to having that sort of structure with their main players, their main races of the alliance. I would. I would argue you're entirely incorrect here. Um, the horde has always been: I give you an order and you do it. For orcs, it's been, sure. We just for for Torin, for trolls, because what have they been for the past several years? Now we've got the council thing going on, but at the same time, the horde's more unified than it's ever been. The horde has, has abandoned a strict hierarchy and has instead gone with a kind of unity of purpose but it's still very unified. The the Alliance are the ones where a faction leader just told another faction leader to F himself, you know, and, and what happened? The, another faction leader said, you know, she's got a point. And this was one of the, one of the main leaders closest allies is telling him, yeah, I think she's right. When she told you to F off. Well, I think she's got a point. There's, an interesting place where the Alliance isn't doing a very good job of being that structure. They have all the pretension to that structure, but they don't actually have it. Hmm. I think that's one of the real interesting things to, to look at is the Horde doesn't have a central leader, and yet everybody's falling in line. The Alliance has a central leader, and nobody wants to do what he wants. No, that's fair enough. That there's... I don't. Here's my other thing too, though. Um, I don't think the the Rajani are going to be an allied race unless there's a tremendous demand for them. Like if they become super popular, maybe. But let's face it: the Mogu are two expansions, three expansions. Are, yeah, right. Three warlords, legion. That, yeah, so we're looking back three expansions to get to the Mogu. The Mogu are certainly a candidate. But I don't think that they're very likely. The la- the oldest allied race we got was the Maghar and the Dark Irons. Dark Irons are original WoW. Yep. But they've been around for a very long time. They've been they've been a popular allied. You know, they've been a popular subject of discussion. And with Moira there, there's a really there's a, a well made reason for them to show up. Um, the Mogu not the, so much. Uh, yeah, it's very hard to come up with a reason why the Mogu would join anybody. Which sort of uh, bleeds that, into the second part of that question real quick, which I think we, we should kind of look at too here, which is uh, that they're uh, familiar with Chronicles, but beyond what is in 8.3, is there any lore that would support the Mogu joining either faction or both? And this, this kind of goes where you are kind of already running down. I don't think there is a specific group of lore or story that would lean them one way or another. Yeah, the Mogu don't think very highly of either, either. faction. Yeah. I mean, certainly when 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 Li Shen was in charge, he he basically ruled 
all Mogu. And that includes the Mogu who are currently in the Rajani. I don't know if they were, I don't know if the Rajani is a really old faction that was just kind of hanging out and hiding when Li Shen was in charge, or if they're a new faction that was made by, by Mogul who were like, no, we lost our way when we followed this guy. We have to go back to following Radin like we're supposed to. But you're, you're seeing the Mogul have this really interestingly contradictory nature where they fight, but they fight for dominance. And then once somebody has established dominance, they all just follow him. Yep. They're not rebellious. They just use strife to determine who is the best leader. Like if if Odin showed up, annihilated Raden on the spot, they'd follow and said, Odin. Yeah, they'd absolutely follow him. Um, they followed the Rod, the Rajani followed Raden because Raden was the original leader of their people. Or you can make a case for Norushen, but Norushen's gone, so they couldn't follow him. And Raden was very highly placed. He was High Keeper Ra. Raden just means Master Ra in Mogu. So they were following him because he's a, a legendary figure to them. He is somebody to be followed and respected. They'd follow any Titan Watcher who showed up. Like if, like I said, if Odin showed up, they'd follow him. They're followers, but they don't respect us. Yeah. And that means they're not going to be likely to follow us unless we can get them to respect us. In a weird sort of way, if you remember the warrior faction quest to get your mount in Legion, where you basically punch the thing in the nose until it does what you tell it, you'd have to do that to the Mogu. You'd have to whack them in the snout really hard and, and be like, no, you're going to do what I say now. If you look at, like, it's interesting to compare them to the to the uh, Tolvir who we see in 8.3 as well. The Tolvir have a, have their own regimented society, but it's not a society that is afraid of outside influence. No, and in like fact, when, that's that's a whole central point of 8.3 where you're working with the uh, the Accord. You're working with a group of them specifically. They welcome you. I mean, it's not universal. There's a guy right there, the general, I think, Kam says, who's like, you know, I'm not doing what these guys say. And sure. the Pharaoh's like, no, you are. Because we're gonna die, and that's the kind of thing the Mogu don't. The Mogu don't have dissent that way. You couldn't have a, a general turn to a Mogu leader and say, "I don't want to do that," and the, the you know the Mogu leader wouldn't stop it. Yes, you are gonna do that. He'd kill him for daring to question him. That the the Mogu love for order is the reason they're out of control. They're too orderly, and all this stuff that looks violent and crazy. It isn't chaotic. It's in the service of creating and inflicting a perfect order. They were so obsessed with that that they got rid of their females. Yep. Just because females have a different opinions than males. So they got rid of their women. We've only seen, and we've the only ones we saw were raid boss. And they were made by, they were effectively made to be pleasure bots for Alayshan. Yep. And that's, you know, creepy as all heck. They're a disturbingly orderly society. And that's that's even the ones like the Rajani who aren't like necessarily quote unquote bad guys are they're very much about that kind of order. They want it so badly that they'll if no one will come and tell them what to do, if no Titan figure will come and say, here are your orders, they'll impose it themselves. And I mean, and and then, think, I was going to say, think about it this way, too, going back to something you said earlier. If they've been around, and, and let's assume that because Rodden's been there, that they these are the, the personal servants of Rodden, for whatever you want to call them, 
they didn't help us when we were there before. They didn't care enough to come out and help when other Mogu were running rampant again, when there was old God corruption, you know, running in the veil, which is where we find them. So they, for, if there wasn't a egg, like extenuating circumstances that forced them to even deal with us in the first place. And it was pretty bad before it's worse. Now we probably wouldn't even have known they would exist. They don't care about us. We don't register. Yep. We're not important enough to them. And keep in mind that this is also the race that was so afraid of the curse of flesh, so afraid of chaos being introduced into their ranks that they've reverse engineered a way to use the anima to create, to recreate the, the stone form. They, they reverse engineered the curse of flesh and made themselves stone again, which when we see that happening by other people, like for instance, when we see it in in the, uh, in Oldham, it's the old gods turning the the Tolvir stone again to use them more effectively as servants. The old gods are actually removing the curse of flesh from Titan servants to make them better servants to the old gods. Think about that. That's pretty scary. And think about what it says about the Mogu. The Mogu did it by themselves. So no, I don't think... There's not a ton of lore that would make the Mogu join either faction. There's not a ton of lore that would make the Mogu join both factions as a neutral party. Uh, I think, if anything, Joe is right unless they become so popular that people demand them. Like, if player, if there's enough yeah. player, you know, we want this. Blizzard will give you what, they, what you want if they can find a way to do it that doesn't completely ruin everything. So if there's enough desire for it to happen, it could happen. But right now... There's not much in the game to make it happen. Our next question comes from Dakan on Discord. Hi, guys. Do you think Sargeras will ever return as a good guy? We know the Titans aren't the kind to give up on saving a fellow Titan, seeing how mad they got at Sargeras for slicing a planet in half because it was super corrupted by old gods. Then they they, then they found Azeroth that was also covered by old god Goop, and they tried to save it too. Sargeras is only corrupted by Fel, which seems to me to be easier to deal with, and I doubt they will be content with sitting in their circle throne watching him for all eternity. I'm convinced that since Sargeras used to be among the strongest of the Titans, that they would work on trying to save him. I doubt Illidan being there will help much because I'm sure that in, in a one-on-one -on -one fight, Sargi would crush him unless Illidan's experience with confronting the demon within oneself will come in handy with Sargeras' redemption. What do you think? Uh, go for There's it. There's no demon in Sargeras. Yeah. Is he corrupted and warped by the fell? Yes. But there's no demon in him. Not like the other demon hunters. All of his behavior, all of his... Everything Sargeras has done has been done with the full... It's, it's, it makes sense. It's orderly. You know, it's, it's kind of almost like a runtime thing. It's almost like basic. Like, line 10, check for Old God Corruption. You know, if Old God Corruption, go to line 30. If not, go to line 20. Line 20, go check another planet. Line 30... If old god corrupt, you know, you know, line thirty, blow up the planet. Yep, that's like, that's his thing. He did that before he ever even saw the fell. Well, not before he saw it, before he ever allowed it into himself. Sargeras destroyed a planet when he was just a titan. He wiped it out because it had old god corruption, and he couldn't think of another way to deal with it. And 
this was the guy who came up with the the prison planet Mardum to deal with the, the Legion before it was the Legion. He figured out a way to deal with demons. He figured out, okay, these fell things keep coming back and, and wrecking stuff, so I'll stick them here on this planet and they can't leave it. I'll trap them here. That'll work. And it did work. Uh, in terms of, in order for him to be quote-unquote saved, he would have to accept he was wrong. And Sargeras has spent the last forever trying to do the opposite. He put the, his, he put the um, various Titans that he killed, and keep in mind he killed them with the Fell because Titans aren't good at dealing with Fell. Enough Fell is enough to overwhelm them. Granted, it took that much. It took like the entire Burning Legion and Sargeras wielding it like like crazy, and he attacked them before they knew he was going to do it. Like he killed Agrimar, you know. He just stabbed Agrimar right there. He didn't even like you know. Agrimar's like holding out his hand, going please, and he murdered Agrimar right in front of them, and then he attacked them. So, in terms of saving him, they he just spent literally eons uncounted thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years torturing the the five you know everybody else in the pantheon until agrimar broke and and joined him for a while yeah don't forget we fight agrimar because he's broken he's now on sargeras's side yeah and we fight him and, and get him to snap out of it but that took him that amount of time to get them and they were they were the ones like, no, this can't be true. He has never once wavered. He has never once bent from his course because of them. It's only made him more convinced he was right. Yep. There's absolutely no sign that Sargeras is going to say, Sargeras, if you ask Sargeras, he'd tell you, I am the good guy. Yeah. That's the I'm thing. Doing, I'm doing what has to be done. They're not they're going to let the universe descend into this delicrescent mess rather than take the hard truth to, to heart and fix it. What we're doing doesn't work and we have to change. We have to come up with a new plan. First, step one, burn it all down. Because we have to. originate the universe. Yeah. It's not that I want to do this. I don't take any pleasure out of it. It's Your just... insignificant mortal lives don't mean anything to me one way or the other, but you have to be destroyed because these worlds have to be destroyed. And any kernel of the corruption of the old gods has to be wiped out. The universe has to be rendered down to nothing. So there's no trace of them. And once that's happened, because the only thing we can do with old gods is kill them. You know, that's the only thing we can do. Yes, it causes great harm, but if you destroy all life, then that harm is not that big a deal. And then we can start from a clean slate. That's his view. And it yeah, makes sense from his viewpoint. And from his viewpoint, it's like it's it's like having a, a, a giant pool that has a, a single hole in it, right? You could keep trying to patch the hole and, and do all these things, but ultimately you have to drain all the water out at some point before you can mend that 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 gap that hole and make it whole again and that's sort of where Sargeras is looking at it because the universe right now is, is in, in his brain is beyond patching it has to be completely redone and in order to do that you have to take everything out of it to see exactly where the hole is where these this, these old gods this, this corruption's leaking in 
fix that and then put everything back. And that that's essentially like to me, that's the argument against him and the other Titans. Now, do I think he'll ever come back as the good guy? I think Matt's right. He views himself as the good guy. Do I think it has a broader sense that the Titans will ever come back on one condition? I think they might. And that is in the final showdown. If we ever get to it with the heart of whatever the void is, when we discover where that hole is, we may see the Titans again, but I don't think it's going to be a good guy moment. I think it's going to be the Titans burning all of their power to seal that gap, whether Sargeras wants to or not. That'll be the final act of the Pantheon. But until that point, we're not going to see them. I don't think we're going to hear I mean, anything from them. I don't think we're going to see Sargeras before anything of that, that cataclysmic of a nature happens. One possibility would be that the Titans might eventually realize or decide, okay, we don't have an option, and they might let him go for that. And then we have to go, like if, go if to the, work again. <laughs> if the, well, no, imagine if the old gods succeeded, not on Azeroth, but somewhere, and they created the Void Titan. And the Void Titan is going to try and change the entire universe so that the Void can come here can you enter this most, universe. You let your most powerful fighter go to deal with the other, yeah, you know, threat. drop him on them. Yep. You know, send him into the void. Here you go. You, you know, here's what we're going to do. You want out. You want us to treat you like family again? Cause that is what he deeply wants. He wants a family back. That's why he tried to break them rather than just leave them dead. You want to be part of the Pantheon, even though you don't want to admit it. Here's here's your one option. We will send you into the void to kill the void lords. First you got to kill that thing that they just made. And then, you know, you'll go in the to the void. And maybe he'd take the deal and maybe he'd mean it, or maybe he'd take the deal and as soon as he got done killing that void abomination, start trying to destroy the universe again. Who knows? But it'd be the situation where if it was bad enough, they might let him go because all other possibilities are even worse. That's something I can see happening. Yeah. And I can see that maybe to a certain degree too. The only, the only wild card there would be Illidan and how that yeah. would play out because Illidan, like, like we said, Illidan doesn't have a demon inside him. Not like the other, not like the other demon hunters. He has just purely consumed power and one thing I've been wondering is if there's a possibility that at the end of the day, if that existential threat comes up, if if Illidan turns to the Pantheon and says, I'm going to take Sargeras's power now, and then I'm going to go deal with things. Because unlike you, I know what I'm doing. Because he's another possibility of somebody who has that, that very strict mindset of one path, go forth and do it. And I've always been wondering that too, because now he's got he's got exactly what he wanted. He has Sargeras and essentially his clutches for eternity. He's not going to die anytime soon, not where he's at. And the Pantheon's there, but they're also weaker than they used to be. And I always wondered if, because of the the, the explicit way that Illidan became a demon hunter, which again wasn't consuming or, or merging with a demon, it was consuming raw power, whether it was the power from the skull of Gul'dan and raw arcane energy. If he could do that with a Titan, because what is a Titan? A Titan is pure arcane energy. So if he could do that, would Sargeras just be gone? And would we have an 
Illidan sized or a Sargeras sized Illidan to possibly deal with this instead? No, Would... we'd have uh, fifty Illidan sized Sargeras's. <laughs> either either way, like I could see something like that happen where like Illidan goes, "I'm the only one I can trust," so I'm gonna make all of my I'm gonna make an army of me, just like he tried to do with demon hunters, but just literally split himself like multiple man and go to town. I don't know, but I, I always wondered about that if we'd ever see Sargeras again, or if we'd see Illidan wielding Sargeras's power. I I think you give a Sar you give Illidan a lot more credit for control and ability to draw power than he's demonstrated. Yes, but he also has the pantheon there to teach him or to learn from. I don't think they. I don't think they definitely. I'm not teaching a guy how to eat me. If he doesn't know how to do it, I'm certainly not giving Fair. him the lessons. Here's a fork. Here, here, lesson one: stab me with this fork. Well, I don't. I don't think uh, it's the know. eating. I don't think it's the eating part because I think he already knows how to do that. I think he's demonstrated he can consume raw energy. I think it's more the control yeah, part. Titans aren't really the raw part. They have a consciousness and they're vastly powerful. Honestly, I don't. I don't really think Illidan's more than a distraction to Sargeras. Mm -hmm. I think Sargeras could. I think Sargeras could destroy Illidan if he focused on him. But if he focused on him, then the Titans could probably bind him permanently. So he's in a position where he's got to fight Illidan because Illidan's there and attacking him. But Illidan isn't a threat to him. He's just a goad. And if he does turn all his power to focus on Illidan, then he won't be using it to try to escape. And that's when they'll lock him in. And Illidan's perfectly fine with this because he's Illidan. If anybody you know, thinks highly of himself, it's Illidan. But I don't think that he's necessarily actually at the point where he can just turn Sargeras into a snack. The Titans are cosmically powerful beings, and Sargeras in particular is an astonishingly powerful one. So, That's true. But I'm also going I, I off the fact that we've also beat him up, essentially. We beat up his son. We beat up Algamar. And if he's greatly, yeah. re if he's reduced in yeah, any but, sort of power, because we don't know how much we, of himself was spent on that sword, right? Like we talked about that a little bit before. Yeah, that's that's true, but I don't I don't see that as being a tremendous reduction on him. But you know, who knows? It, it depends on what they decide to, to do. They haven't talked about this, so we don't know. That's fair. Well, I think that takes us to our time. So Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience. Final question of the day. We talked about Mogu becoming an allied race. What about the Tolvir? Now, the Tolvir seem to have a structure that fits what we would expect, and we talked about this a little bit more. They have sort of that independent thinking. They have a pharaonic society where they have a, a absolute leader, but they have sort of, they have an actual society. They have a place. Do you think that that is something we could see as an allied race? And if so, where would they go? I think that the Tolvir are a decent idea. Um, I they think the biggest problem I have with Tolvir is the problem I have with Mogu in that they're so far back. And I haven't seen a storyline yet that makes me feel that the Tolvir are that interested in anything that's not happening in Oldham. Like, we're helping the Tolvir here because this stuff is happening in Oldham. The Tolvir aren't even remotely concerned with what's happening outside of Oldham. This stuff has been going on this whole expansion. And the Tolvir have not, you know, like raised one little whisker until it literally came straight to their door. 
they don't seem tremendously expansionist or even interested in what's going on outside of their little valley. And that's fine. You know, not everybody has to be a busybody. But I, I have a hard time. Once we're done with, with uh, Nazoth, I have a hard time imagining the the, the, the uh, Tolvir being like, wow, let's go see what else there is in the world. I mean, the only time I could imagine that would be some of them might want to go up to Ankaraj, not Ankaraj, uh, Ankatet to see like the few Tolvir that were up there that all got turned into obsidian destroyers. Like they, you know, there might be some interest in finding out what happened to the rest of their race, but I have not seen them display any, they just don't seem to care. And so they, they, they certainly are, I think a more flexible group than the Mogu and keep in mind that they're at one point, they, they actually use the halls of origination on the Mogu. Yes. So, I definitely think there's some possibility there, but I'm not holding my breath on it. See, now part of me brought that up because Tolvir have been a wildly popular ask since allied races first became a thing. And the way that they were isolated mirrors sort of the Nightborn in a lot of those ways. They lived in a literally a magically protected bubble uh, for till Cataclysm, essentially. So I always wondered if there would be something that would bring them out. And I'm wondering if at the end of this, if there is no more existential threat from old God corruption, they don't have to necessarily be as vigilant and watching the halls of origination or the engine of origination, then maybe I could see them joining. And I actually think that maybe instead of the Mogu, they would be a better fit with something along more the Alliance side. But I would be interested to see that mostly because I also would like to really see a centaur-style race, because ever since Classic WoW, uh, when we started dealing with the the centaurs the first time, there's a whole culture of that. People have wondered if we're ever going to see them as playable characters. I would honestly, personally, like to see Tolvir maybe be a player character. I think they're they'd be interesting, and I'd like to see I'm, what classes sorry, they'd get stuck with. But you made me think of them trying to actually bring centaurs in as playable and i'm like ooh, that wouldn't go over well in the horde <laughs> or to be like hard no and that's that's why well, i would think that they I'll would wind you, up an alliance <laughs> i'll i'll let you i'll let you have the uh the quill bore before i let you have centaurs man <laughs> no no way hard pass <laughs> they tried to kill us for generations we don't like those guys yeah torrent torrent be a little upset yeah. Remember the cages? Those those were a thing. Yeah, we're not we're not we're not we're not feeling it. We're not feeling that. No, don't think so. Uh but yeah, I mean I don't like I don't have a problem with the twelve year. I just don't see it happening. I don't think that if Blizzard doesn't make playable Naga and people have been talking about that for just as long, if Naga are a hard sell, then I imagine the Tolvir are even harder. But well, who knows? That's, in, that's entirely possible. But I mean, to... if nothing else, the Worgen give us a precedent for like them having a kind of mount ability. You could just, ha- you know, that's true. They don't even have they don't even have to drop on all fours. It just, you know, take a couple seconds to cast it and then just run, run, run. And uh, as much as I love Kodos, let me uh, let me pour a little bit out of my drink here for uh, plane striding. Plane, yeah, good old planes <laughs> running. 
but thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, we appreciate all the questions by all keep them coming, whether it's through our discord channel for our patrons and supporters or through our email at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just make sure that you specify what podcast those questions are for and join us next week as we will actually have a guest. We will have a third chair. So join us and find out who it is. <laughs> Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter pretty litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness it's the world's smartest kitty litter Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.